0: morning everyone good to see you and the young people when you see Shandia on that map that is an area where uh, Jim Elliot laid down his life for the sake of the gospel a little town called Shell right around that space and the young people will go there and learn even if they went there just to learn that great lesson hopefully that will transform their lives so uh, hopefully you picked out a young person or two and zoned in on them and said I'm gonna I'm gonna pray for them along the way Uh, a little old school in music today, right, and uh, you you guys are okay with that, some of you look like you're really happy about that, I was thinking that there was a time when someone stood up and said, hey, I want to teach you a new song, it's called Victory in Jesus, and they they said, I I know it's going to be new to you, but we're going to get through it together, I don't know when that was, but I I don't have a date on that song, it just occurred to me that that was a new song once, right, and it's old school for us, along the way, I, I can hear Merlin uh, leading that song in our little bitty church out on Wallen Road when there were 30 of us and, and 15 didn't show up because it was raining, you know, so there were 15 of us that day instead of 30, and um, there, was a, there was a little old lady in our church, she said, I, I, we, did, uh, we had Sunday night church back then, forgive the little uh, memory lane here, and um, we did, you know, kind of call out your favorite hymn, and then we sang it sort of thing. And every Sunday night, she would say the same thing. I, I need me a little victory. She would say over and over, every, I need me a little victory. We, I, it became kind of the marching orders of our little church back then. It was kind of fun. So uh, for, I, I feel better from having gone down memory lane. Most of you are like, oh, my goodness, you're going to show us pictures of your vacation next. You know, what? What's the next thing you're going to do to us uh, along the way? Uh, we are in uh, Philippians chapter 4, and um, it's page 982, if you're following along in a chair Bible. Again, if you're not used to being in the Bible, we get that. We, I, we Most of us were not used to being in the Bible at some point in our life. We had to learn that. So uh, I'll just call out page numbers to help you, and if you have a Bible in the chair... You can follow along. If you don't own one, take it home with you. We'd love for you to have that. Um, I titled this message a superlative to live by, and I didn't assume that uh, I had communicated very well with that. So let's start out with a definition of superlative so we have an understanding. At least we'll uh, be on the same footing. Uh, and this is from dictionary.com, it says, of the highest kind, quality or order, uh, semicolon, surpassing all else or others, something greater. In English, we usually uh, use words that have EST on the end of it, fastest, strongest, biggest, bravest, or if you're talking about your friend's bestest, you know, we we put it on the ends to say that there's no better than that uh, along the way. And so there is a superlative in our passage today that you are familiar with, and I wanna wrap the message around that. It's chapter four, verse 13, which most of many of you church folks could quote, and it says something like this, I can do all things, you wanna finish? So yeah, something, I, I don't know what it is, but I'm sure it was good. Thank you. Jesus wept. Yeah, I, okay, I got it. I, I memorized that verse. I can do all things, and the King James Version sent us down a path through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, the Texas Receptus, which is the Greek version that the King James was built on, had the word Christ in it. Uh, the um, older manuscripts, through him who strengthens me. So then you have to figure out who him is, and Christ is a pretty good answer to that. I'm not picking on the King James actually wanted to uh, point that out. It is a reasonable conclusion then that it is through Christ's strength that we can do all things. First of all, what does that not mean? This is not some triumphalism, where I can do anything because of Christ. Okay? When the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ in me, it doesn't mean that I can fly or play the violin or fill in the blank of all the stuff you wished you could do but can't do, and you can't all of a sudden say, in the name of Jesus, I can now play the violin and pick it up and start playing it. It will not work You cannot do that. It is not a statement that was ever meant to be taken that I can do anything. Here's what it is. It is a statement that my life is independent from my circumstances. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus is my circumstance in all things. So when you see the athlete and he's playing you know, basketball and you, they zoom in and you see Philippians 4.13, he wrote on his gym shoes, have you seen this guy or this gal, you know, the Christian making their statement about what they can do in life. Philippians, it doesn't mean they can jump higher, run faster, shoot better because Jesus is in their life. I don't know if they know that. That might be what they mean. What it really means is they're going to be able to accept winning or losing today equally as well whatever circumstances come to me during this next athletic event, I can handle it because Christ is in me and I am in him. I want you to wrap your mind around that as you think about your circumstances. Can you handle whatever circumstances you are in? The answer is, you can do all things because Christ is in you. Jesus is your circumstance. Whatever else is happening to you, Christ defines your circumstance. You cannot lose. He is your victor. You can do all things through Him. That's a superlative to live by, right? I mean, that's a statement that has no greater thing to be found past it. I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me? I can face whatever comes my way, because whatever comes my way, I have Jesus in my life. Paul is saying that to the Philippians uh, in a context, and so I want us to look at that, and if you would stand, let's read it together. Uh, I'm going to go verses 10 to 14 this morning in Philippians chapter 4. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound. In any, in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yes, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Let's pray. Father, if you could help us learn this critical truth for our lives, we'd be so grateful this morning. And if we have learned it previously and need to be reminded or relearn it, we beg you to hammer it home in our souls today. This room is filled with a variety of circumstances. There are people in this room who are doing really well right now. Their bank accounts are filled. Their lives have joy. Their circumstances are good. And I pray for them, Father, that they don't become confused about what is really good in their lives. And then there are people in this room facing disease and devastation and financial ruin and broken marriages and rebellious children and and their lives are weighed down by what is all around them. And I pray for them this morning too that they might know that they might know that in the middle of their circumstances Jesus is all they really need and they already have him. So I pray that for those who are abounding and those who are struggling, that they might understand the truth of this passage. In whatever circumstances they find themselves, the circumstances, Father, mean nothing compared to their Savior. Help us as your children to grasp that concept in these next moments. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Now, I'm going to go down to verse 11 first. I will work my way back up to verse 10. But he says in verse 11, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned. And then in verse 12, I know how to be brought low, how to abound in, every, in any or every circumstance I have learned. There, twice he says he learned things. It would suggest to me that the, the idea that Christ is all I need in every circumstance is something that can be learned. I can grow into this, and it also suggests that the guy writing this letter has some life experience, right? And that based on his life experience, he's learned some things. This is the beauty, by the way, of the body of Christ. We get to benefit from each other's learning experiences, we bump into each other. In That's the beauty of church, you guys. If you uh, uh, separate yourself from church, you miss out on what others have learned that can help shape your learning. I'll get onto this a little bit more in a minute. But what Paul's saying here is, I- I've learned a few things. Very interestingly, if you'll just flip back a couple pages to page 978, Ephesians chapter 4, Um, Paul makes a different statement in Ephesians 4 that I like this is pretty fascinating he he talks about their old way of life and then in verse 20 he says that is not the way you learned Christ this Christianity thing is something you can learn you can grow in you can continue to sift and get better at you can learn things It is fascinating that he says, I learned Christ, and it is that knowledge that is critical to your everyday following of him in any and every circumstance. Now, in our passage, he lists some extremes, and so in verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content, and here's the list. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. In any and every circumstance, I know how to live. Let's not forget he's writing from prison. That could color how he views things a little bit, right? It is interesting, he he uses words like abundance and plenty, poverty, hunger, need, lowliness. I've learned in whatever circumstance I found myself, the secret of life. Now, Paul's hardships are pretty legendary, but I want to go back and just let us taste them through his own words as he describes the life that he's lived in his faith. So we're going to go back, and I'm going to take you to four passages. The first is in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and this is to your left, page 954, if you're following along. Page 954, 1 Corinthians 4, and we'll go to verse 9. Um, he says, I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all. We are like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, you are strong. You are held in honor, we are held in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst We're poorly dressed and buffeted and and, and homeless. We labor, working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Those are our church founders, you guys, the apostles. That is quite a description of the life they lived because of their belief in Christ, isn't it? Let's go to the next one, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, Just turn to the uh, right a little bit, page 965. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. He says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so the the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. Sense the angst of life that this man's going through. One page over, chapter 6, verse 3. He says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Here's how we commend ourselves. By great endurance, in afflictions and hardships and calamities, by beatings and imprisonments and riots and labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge and patience and kindness um, the Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, were treated as imposters and were yet true, as unknown and yet were well known, as dying and behold, we lived as punished and not yet killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many riches, having nothing yet possessing everything, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The circumstances of his life were not easy. One more, chapter 11, same book, 2 Corinthians, just a couple pages to the right, verse 23. Um, He says, "Uh, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received by the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. That's 39 for those who struggle with math. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Night and day I was adrift at the sea. By the way, can you imagine being in water for 24 hours straight in the black, in the dark, in the middle of a storm? Hmm. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, and hunger and thirst, and often without food and cold and exposure. Not to mention the anxiety of the churches. When this man puts his pen to paper by by the Holy Spirit's guidance and he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in any and every circumstance, whether it's good or bad, I can do this. I know this. It is because he has lived it. And he has not found Christ insufficient he has not found Christ unhelpful. He has not found Christ unfaithful, has he? In all things, I can do it because Christ is in me. In every circumstance of my life, I can handle it because Christ is in me. Now, I'll be honest, it's a little tougher to find the abundance testimonies in Paul's life. You know, it's like, Paul, where was that abundance? Was that on a one Thursday 17 years ago that you had abundance? Was that the day you got out of jail and they had a party for you? When was abundance? I don't know, but I can tell you this, uh, as difficult as hardships are, you guys, perhaps the greatest trial in the passage is the trial of abundance. Is it not easier for you to think that your reliance is on your retirement plan, your investment strategy, than it is on Christ? So I dug back and went to Deuteronomy chapter eight. Let's go there, page 152. This is not a new trial. It is not something that has not been seen before or experienced before. What we have going for us uh, that the Jews did not have is we can do all things in Christ who strengthens us to handle wealth, which I think probably applies to every single person in this room. On the world stage, by the world standard, everybody in this room is wealthy. Watch the warning from God in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8, verse 11. He says, Take, this is, by the way, Deuteronomy's, the, the, the kids of the, the uh, parents who refused to go into the land because of the giants. And God says, Well, you're all going to have to die, and then your kids will go in. And you, these are the instructions to those kids is they're getting ready to enter the promised land and find the abundance of God there. And he says in verse 11, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I have commanded you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart would be lifted up and you would forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Drop down to verse 17. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, this is really important, It is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as to this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you will perish. Like the nations that the Lord made perish before you, so you shall perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord. The warning in this passage is that in the midst of abundance, you will forget the one who gave you the abundance. You will lose your gratitude and fill yourself with arrogance. Look what I did. Look how hard I worked. Look what I made. And you may not say that out loud, but you may find that as the satisfaction of your soul and your bible comes to you and says listen you need to understand well your where your wealth came from did you notice verse 18 you shall remember the lord your god it is he who gives you the power to get wealth and He has a purpose in giving you the wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to the fathers with this day. Do we understand that the bounty that God has given us is to further the knowledge of Him? That to do all things in Christ, who strengthens us, means that we understand the value of our wealth for promoting the reputation of our God. Do we understand that? It is in Christ that we can look at these wealthy circumstances, the circumstances of bounty and blessing, and go, I can do all things through Christ. I can look this wealth in the eye and go, I have a purpose. I'm going to take what God has given me, and I'm going to, you ready? Invest it in the eternal rather than to consume it on the visible. It is not easy, is it? especially when everything in your culture says, consuming it on the visible is an affirmation that God has blessed you. And so we open this up with this superlative, and the interesting thing about it is around it are these circumstances that if you slow down a little bit and understand what the Bible is telling you here, God has given you the resources you need to navigate the journey of wealth and poverty, of abundance and lowliness, because he gave you Christ. And do you understand that whatever worldly wealth you have and whatever worldly poverty you have, that you're exactly the same in your riches? Hmm? Uh, hey, y'all still awake? I, you guys, this 9 o'clock group, man, you guys are the quietest, most solemn. You guys make me nervous a little bit. I, 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 I got to be honest. Luke and I sometimes, go, I said, "How's the 9 o'clock hour? He goes, oh, man, I don't know. I, they, those folks in the 9 o'clock hour, I, you know, I'm working my tail off there. And they're just like. <laughs> Did we get new lights in the gym? I didn't notice that. Oh, by the way, we got a new roof. Uh, so, the water will not be dripping on you this morning, that, uh, courtesy of, uh, of your uh, kind giving that uh, we replaced the roof on both gyms here this summer already. It's done. How about that? If a, if a drop hits you, it's really bad. So, we paid a lot of money so that wouldn't happen. Anyhow, baptisms for the tank. We don't do a mass sprinkling thing. Okay. Now, um, from those circumstances, Paul learns some lessons, and he's about to share what the lesson is. You ready? Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation to be content. I've learned how to be brought low. I've learned how to abound. I've learned in any and every circumstance the secret. Oh, I want to find the secret this guy's got secrets. What's the secret? And so now here's the life lessons. Um, Contentment. Does it feel ever elusive? There's a problem with contentment, right? Because um, there's a gap between all that you could have and all that you do have. It could be weight loss, it could be looks, it could be boats, it could be computers, it could be, what? Cars, it could be uh, reputations. There's a lot you could have, and here's what you do have, and in between is a gap. And that gap is called marketing. Right? (laughs) because marketing tries to get you to not be satisfied with what you do have in order to reach after what you could have. And so, you know, they've always got, um, you know, know, five really good looking guys, uh, you know, kind of cowboy looking dudes sitting around a fire with an old Milwaukee going, it doesn't get any better than this. They don't show you the poor fat slob who's passed out in the alley and go, it doesn't get any better than that guy throwing up on himself there. I mean, this is really good. Right? So that's marketing. And the idea then is that there's a gap, and that gap can cause discontentment in your life. So contentment is something that you can have, and that's a good thing. I'm contented. But I think what Paul's saying here is, It's even better when contentment has you. Not it's something that you possess, but it's something that possesses you that in any and every circumstance you can find satisfaction because you're in Christ. And so this trial between all there is and all you have comes to you repeatedly. And this trial is straight from the hand of God so that you'll understand that you already have everything in him. You know? Did you ever get that newer car to you? In the when you first buy it, you park it like six miles from the store because you don't want anybody to ding it with their door. And then someone pulls up next to you and dings it anyhow. It's just irritating as can be. It doesn't take very long for the car to become kind of an afterthought. It was so special, and then it becomes uh, not very special. And along the way, we have this erosion that happens in our life materially that causes us to miss out on the greatness of our God. And so this gap continues to, to, to strive in our life and cause us to struggle. Now this trial, as James chapter 1, verse 2 says, comes from God in order that we would become mature. And so in James chapter 1, verse 2, Count it all my joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The steadfastness will have its full effect, and you will be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. You'll grow up in your faith. First Peter chapter 1 says... Uh, in verse six, "In this you now rejoice, that is your salvation, though for a now, for a little while, you must be grieved by various trials so that the testing of the genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, is tested by fire, will be result to the praise and honor and glory of God. And so God allows these trials to push against your faith, to strip away the things that you have affections toward, and to leave you holding on to Jesus alone. And it is at that moment that you can go, I found the secret. I found the secret. The secret is, I can do all things through Christ. The secret, an interesting word, by the way, which means initiation, it's like the secret handshake at that funny group where they wear the little you know, um, waist baskets on their head with, with the tassels hanging down. They got secrets there. And they, and they do a... I don't know what the hand movements are. I've never been there. They didn't let me in. And, and, and they do a thing and they call guys the poobah. And, and this, that, that's the idea behind the word. You've been initiated into something most people don't have. Except for the secret Is not to be whispered, it's to be screamed. And the secret is, in Christ, nothing else is close. I've learned the secret of contentment. It's, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. That's the great secret. I learned that because I had a lot of stuff and learned how worthless it was. I learned that because I went through some great trials and found how they couldn't defeat him in me. I learned that. I've lived a little bit. I've seen this more and more and more. Let me say it again. I said it early. What the secret is, is this. Christ is my circumstance. Everything else is peripheral to the main thing in my life. Christ is my circumstance. So whether it's good or bad, Christ. Uh, 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 Stock options come in, Christ. Poverty comes in, Christ. Health crisis, Christ. Divorce, Christ. Rebellious parents, Christ. Did you catch that one? You thought I was going to say something else, didn't you? goes both ways. I can do all things through Christ. Whatever happens in my earthly surroundings, Jesus is my companion, my comfort, my hope, my love. And if I transfer any of those things to my circumstances, it is certain ruin for my soul. This is the truth behind Romans chapter 8, page 945, a very familiar passage. I love reading it every time, though, because it stirs me to greater faithfulness when I read this passage. Verse 35, Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Who can separate me? Well, let's make a list. Contribulation, How about distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger, or the sword? Now, I just read to you Paul's different journeys, right? You know what he could probably say to that list? Now let's see. I experienced tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Been through all of those. You know what I found out? Christ's love is there in the middle of all that. Look at the next verse as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's our lot in this life. And when that happens to us, we have Christ. Verse 37, no, 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 no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then he makes the statement, the one we hang on to, you guys, an informed statement by a guy who's lived a little bit. I am sure that neither death nor life, angels, rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And you go, Yes, nothing can touch Christ in you. There are a lot of things trying, they're coming after us. Abundance and poverty. Health and disease. Uh, See, what's that thing we do at the wedding Um, in sickness and in health? I choose health, I choose riches, I choose good. you You know what the good news is? If you chose Christ, whatever comes your way, you have wealth. You have abundance. You are not poor in any way. You guys, that is the secret, and we've been initiated into that secret. We can do all things through Christ, who strengthens us. We do not have to set our affections on lesser things. We have Christ. Now, before I leave this, I want to take you back to Ephesians 4. I want to show you characteristics of people who are not living out the secret. Does that make sense? So, the secret of, that is Christ in you, how do you know if you're living out Christ in you above all things? Ephesians chapter 4, I read it earlier, and I'm going to go later in the passage. Um, starting in verse 25, and this is back on page 945, again, if you're not uh, following along here. So here we go, verse 25, and I want you, to, here's another list. You put away falsehood, each one of you, and speak the truth with your neighbor, for remembers. Are you a liar? Do you fudge the truth in order to manipulate your circumstances? You with me? You following me? You understand me? Verse 26, be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Are you characterized by anger? Why? What are you angry about? You are putting on display a lack of committedness to doing all things in Christ. So if you are characterized by anger, you might think about that. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work. Do you get it? Are you a thief? Do material things mean so much to you that you take something that doesn't belong to you? Is that characteristic of how you behave? That can be a business deal, by the way. I know you're thinking of, you know someone wiring the ignition of a car and stealing it, but it could just as easily be fudging. The, uh, the accounting on a business transaction in order to take advantage of somebody. That's called stealing. Why would you do that? Oh, wait a minute. We're not done. It gets harder. How y'all doing? Great. Yeah, yeah, I can tell. In verse 29. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths but only what is such is good for the building up as it fits the equation that it may give grace to those who hear. Does that define and that describe what your mouth says? When you replace self for Christ, these are the types of behaviors that pour out of you. You have not learned the secret yet. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Here we go, verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving as God in Christ has forgiven you. So an unforgiving, judgmental, finger-pointing life, refusing to accept the failures of another and give them grace means you're not contented in Christ, doesn't it? That's quite a list. Maybe that's why he said earlier, we read in verse 20, that Christ is someone to be learned. The secret is something to be learned. How did Paul learn it? He went through a lot of stuff, didn't he? And through the trials of life, he became a contented, man now that's really the just of the sermon everything else from here forward this is this is the this isn't the cake this is the it's not even the icing i'm going to put whipped cream and the cherry on this is some peripheral things and so i want to talk about the superlative list in the passage um so let's go back to philippians chapter 4 And I was reading through this this week, and I'm like, I started making a list of the superlatives in the passage, and then I noticed there was one in every single verse. That as Paul describes the Christian faith, he described it in such an all-encompassing way that it was very, very interesting. I just wanted to highlight them for you. Go all the way back to verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord how often? That's a superlative. Verse 5 let your reasonableness be known to everyone. you got to be kidding me. Everyone? It seems like a lot. Uh, verse 6, do not be anxious about, but in, here we go again, we got anythings and everythings. You know, if I was doing marital counseling, I would say, Paul, you got to change your verbiage, man. You can't be using these big words. either you can't use always and never with your wife or your husband. You know, you, you, you never take the trash out, she says to him. and He goes, I did too in 1979. I took the trash out one time. You can't say never. Anyhow, that's a whole nother story for another day. See Scott Minima. He'll help you with the superlatives in marriage. Scott's our biblical counselor, and he'll, he'll, he'll wash those right out of your conversation for you. Let's keep moving. Verse uh, 7. And let the peace of God, which surpasses what? All understanding. There, not some of your understanding. The peace of God will flood all of your understanding. All of it. Oh my goodness, what's going on? In verse 8, I won't even, there are six whatevers. Finally, brothers, whatever, 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 whatever. Superlative after superlative after superlative as he piles on us the amazing aspect of the Christian life. Verse 9, if there is, class, anything worthy of praise, if there is anything commendable or any excellence, excuse me. Verse 10, rejoice in the Lord how? Greatly. Verse 11, Whatever situation, I am content. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low, how to abound in what? Any and every circumstance. And then in verse 13, our verse, I can do how many things? What is the Bible saying to us here? You ready? Your faith is not an addition to your existing life. It replaces your existing life. There is nothing comparable to your life in Christ. When the Bible opens its pages and tells us what faith is like, it uses superlative after superlative after superlative to say, there is nothing like this, you guys. This is the secret that has some alarming consequences. You ready? I'm going to make the statement. Jesus did not hang on the cross for your Sundays. He hung on your cross for your every day. He did not come to die for your sins for Christmas and Easter. My, my pastor in Florida used to call those Holly and Lily Christians. That'll catch up to you. It's way better than Jim's joke earlier. That, that was one awful. What, by the way, what do you think the odds are Jim will tell that same one next hour, even though it was terrible? He, he's just going to bring it. I, he, we live with this here. Always. It's just a superlative to describe it. Anyhow, sorry. You guys, you open your Bible, you read the text, there's not a lot of room for anything but Christ, is there? He's always there in every circumstance, bringing peace to your life. Mm. Now, I'm going to go back even farther and talk about the church at Philippi. Because as I wrap this whole passage together, I start to see an interesting combination of things that Paul puts together. He starts off with these two ladies in verse 2, Yoda and Syntyche, and he tells them to agree in the Lord. It means to think the same. Okay? Yodin said, you guys need to think about the same things. What happened that caused them to stop thinking the same is that they put their own agenda in front of God's. And so they, they need to agree. You remember, girls, he says, I ask you, true companion, help these women. They labored side by side with me in the gospel together. We had a joint journey in the cause of Christ. Somewhere along the way, they substituted their personal agenda for the reputation of Christ. So they don't get along anymore. And I am saying, he says, they need to agree. Their agreement is a distant memory. He reminds them that they have something together. So I'm bringing this full circle now. We've been talking a lot about your individual life in Christ, but it is lived out in a community of like-minded believers so that we can count on each other and believe in each other and support each other when we don't think the way we're supposed to think, right? And so he comes along and says, hey, you gotta get these, you gotta get these ladies uh, getting their act together. So that's the problem. He gives them a path to follow. So in verse 4 to 7, pursue God with all your heart. Let your prayers and supplications be made known to Him. Don't stop praying. Support each other in that. And then we get to verse uh, 8 and 9, and whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, the pursuit of their head, you've got to think about the right stuff. Think of Yodi and Syntyche, set their hearts to prayer and pursued the, 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 the peace of God in their lives, which then caused them to think different thoughts for themselves and about each other. So now their, their hearts are knit together and their heads are knit together. And then Paul says in verse 9, What you've learned, received, heard, and seen in me. Mean, practice these things. Get your hands involved also. So let's stop a second the path out of this maze of confusion and animosity is to set your heart, your head, and your hands in agreement with one another. And so, if Ben down here in the front row is serving Christ and Jim back here is serving Christ, they're doing it together. And they can support each other along the way. And Landon can join them as well. And we can be like this because of what? Because we've all learned the secret. And the secret is that we can do anything in Christ. But we don't have to do it by ourselves. Did you notice what happens in the passage? So he gives that path, and that leads to what I'm going to call the passion of their hearts. And what happens is I replace me with us. I replace mine with our. It is symbolized by taking the Lord's Supper. And when you take that little cup, and you take that piece of bread, and you eat them, and there's a person across the room eating them too, you have united yourselves together in Christ. We cannot be defeated in Christ, you guys. We can be sidetracked by different things, but we cannot lose. Do we understand this? The world seems to be unraveling all around us, and here stands this little church in downtown Fort Wayne, and I'm calling us to this unified approach that says, the purpose of my life is Christ. I want to pray for that. I want to think about that. I want to serve that. And by doing it, my passion now says, I want to help my brothers in Christ. And so in verse 14, the care breaks out. It was kind of you to share in my trouble, Paul says. And Paul says, the things that I've learned, I want to give to you. And then I want you to notice in verse 10, where he, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord, that at length you revived your concern for me, indeed... You now think about me. You think about me. I was with our elders one time, and we were just sitting around chatting, and I don't know, I I get paid to be here, so I'm supposed to think about the place all the time, right? And I asked our elders, I said, how often do you guys think about our church? You know what every single one of them said? Every day. I said, giddy up. Those are the guys you want in the room, right? Right? guys who think about their church every day. It has become a passion of their lives. And here he says, um, you revived your thinking about me. You go back to chapter 1 and verse 7, and it says this, uh, it is right for me to think this way about you. It says, feel in the ESV, because I hold you in my heart. You ever get that note that says, Thinking of you helps, doesn't it? Perhaps the next time you think of someone, you should jot them that note. Doesn't have to be, hey, thinking of you today, mentioned you to our Lord, hope you're doing well. You want it to really be special? Send it in the mail. It's so much slower. I get it, which means it's so much better. The email gets there instantaneously, and you forget about it. Do you know what you do when you get that note in the mail? You tape it up on your refrigerator, and you read it again and again and again and again. We have a tendency to put the negative things in writing, and we say the nice things verbally. I would suggest we should flip those two if you have something tough to say to someone, go say it to them. And if you have something nice to say, put it in writing. They'll read it over and over. It's like, I've got to keep moving. And so the caring and the learning and the, the passion for each other makes a great church. All right. In conclusion, then is our statement statement that you came in this room probably knowing pretty well. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is the secret that is discovered in the laboratory of your life. As you find there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Not one thing. And if you'll notice in our passage, you will then be joined in verse seven by the peace of God and in verse nine by the God of peace. Hmm? This is a superlative to live by. Let's live it and let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your grace. To make this amazing truth so readily available, it's so understandable, and yet such a challenge. The greatest of minds and the simplest of simpletons can grab a hold of this. Lord, I pray that we all will, and that you would knit our hearts together in this great journey the journey of faith in Jesus, for our world to see, and for your great honor and glory. Let your grace be on us, Lord, as we learn and grow in our beliefs. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you.